Hi, this is Adrian Paul, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hello, this is BT Edney. I played Heather in the original Highlander film, and you are watching Highlander Rewatched. This is Andy Armstrong. I was the second unit director, directing the action units in New York on the original Highlander, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hi, this is Anthony Devonges, also known as the Davion Consoli, from the Wendy episode of Highlander, and you are listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Grayson. I played Amanda on Highlander the Series and the spin-off called Highlander the Raven, and you are listening to Highlander Rewatch. Everybody involved with Highlander has stories, and they're great, great stories. This is John Mosby, the author of Fearful Symmetry, the essential guide to all things Highlander, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. This is Ken Gord, producer of the Highlander series, and you are listening to the podcast Highlander Rewatched. Hey, this is Stan Kirsch. I played Richie Ryan on Highlander, and you are listening to Highlander Rewatched. This is Clay Boris, director of Highlander, the TV series, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. This is Gillian Horvath. I helped write Highlander Endgame and Highlander the series, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. This is Martin Neufeld. I played Lieutenant John Sten in Highlander 3, The Final Dimension, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hi, this is Andy Morahan. I'm the director of Highlander 3, The Final Dimension, and you are listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hi, this is F. Bron McCash. I was the Swordmaster fight choreographer for the Highlander television series, series 3, 4, 5, and 6, and the fourth movie, Highlander Endgame. And you are listening to the Highlander Rewatched podcast. Good on ya! Hi, this is Don Alexo. I was script coordinator and associate creative consultant on Highlander the series, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hi there, Highlander fans. This is Richard Martin. I directed nine fabulous episodes of uh, Highlander, the TV series, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. Listen often. Welcome to the Highlander Rewatch Podcast, the podcast where each and every week we talk about another facet of the Highlander universe. I'm one of your rewatchers. This is Keith. This is Kyle. This is Eamon. And this week we are bringing you Chronicle 18 of our Chronicle series. It's hard to believe we've done 17 Chronicles before this. but We've saved the best for 18th. That's right. Uh, today we are going to be sitting down with director Richard Martin, who directed, as he said, nine fabulous episodes of Highlander, the series. Thanks for joining us, Richard. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, why don't we start kind of at the very beginning? Like, what got you interested in film and filmmaking? And then from there, how did you get involved in the Highlander? I, I was always interested in, I guess you'd call it film and entertainment and all that kind of thing from a very early age. And then at 13, my grandmother gave me a Super 8 camera, and I kind of never looked back from there. I just uh, was fascinated with the whole thing and uh, started making, you know, Super 8 films and graduated to 16 millimeter and then actually got involved in the industry first as a, as a film editor as a feature film editor, and uh, that slowly you know, turned into directing. 
As, as a kid, do you uh, have like a, a, an early film that you remember making that was like really sticks out in your mind? Is like, oh yeah, uh, this is for me. Oh, uh, 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 films I saw. Oh no, like a film yeah. that you made with that old Super Eight. <laughs> oh, that I made. Yeah, no, I made a few films on that one, and I, I uh, actually there were two of them, and they uh, won awards and all that kind of stuff. So they were like a twenty-minute Super Eight drama kind of thing, oh. and so they won uh, awards at, uh, at a student film festival in Montreal, actually. And uh, I, I won two years in a row, second place uh, for uh, Super 8 Drama, which is kind of the story of my life. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride, you know, second <laughs> place. But, you know, I took it for what it was. It, it was still a great thing. Do you remember what and those then, movies were uh, about now? Oh, yeah. One was a kind of a portrait of, a, of an old, um, you know, kind of rubby, kind of down-and-out kind of guy living on the downtown east side of uh, Vancouver called Roy's Movie, and it just kind of followed him through a day, and and it turned out well. And then another one was kind of a strange story about uh, teenage alienation and all that kind of stuff called The Obsession. And uh, you can see them on my uh, on my website, richardmartinfilm.com, if you've got 20 minutes with, that you want to kill and never get back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who doesn't have 20 minutes, you know? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Don't watch an episode of Friends. Watch this instead. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. exactly. Right. You don't have to exactly. sign up for Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I'll repeat that. Don't watch an episode of Friends. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get brought into making Highlander? Kind of by accident. I hadn't done television, but someone had kind of suggested me for, for the series, and uh, Ken Gord, the producer, knew uh, some of my work. He knew a film I made uh, called North of Pittsburgh, a feature film. And which he liked. And so uh, he thought it might be a good fit. And then I had a meeting with Bill Panzer, and that was, you know, didn't go so well. Uh, oh, no. What happened? Tell what us happened? all about this. No. Well, I, uh, I showed up for a meeting. I thought, see, I came from feature films, so I thought I was there, and we we're going to sit, and we we're going to discuss, and we we're going to have some dinner, we we're going to do something, and, you know, I was going to get into his head about the series and all this kind of stuff. And so I sat down uh, and, you know, ordered a, a double scotch and a beer, <laughs> and, you know, kind of settling in for the evening. And then 15 minutes later, there was another guy standing there who was another director who he was supposed to talk to. And I got flustered down my scotch, forgot my sunglasses, uh, kind of stumbled my way out of there, said, apologizing, and got into my car and said, well, that was your uh, uh, television career. How did you enjoy it? <laughs> uh, so imagine my surprise when some months later I uh, got a call and they said, we want you to do an episode. And so again, uh, thinking that, you know, coming from the feature film uh, situation, I thought, oh, okay, well, I thought it was kind of unusual, but I said, okay, send me the script and we'll talk. And the woman who was Ken Gord's assistant said, oh, we don't have a script yet. Oh, okay, well, when do you have a script? Tomorrow. Oh, you got a script tomorrow? Great. When does prep start? Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's welcome to television land. Uh, but but ultimately, I found out the true story was that uh, they had another director booked, and he was double booked, and he bailed on Highlander and took the other show, and so they were stuck without a director. And so Ken called up Bill and said, "You know, you met those guys," and uh, Bill said, "I didn't like any of them." And, uh, <laughs> oh my god. Ken apparently said, well, we're kind of in a bind here because there's no one else available. So uh, out of the three guys you met, 
which one would you say you you know of those that you didn't like? Which one would be the least that you didn't like there? And uh, you know, and I won. So uh, so I went in the next day and I started doing Valkyrie. Well, and that's they, quite the episode to come in on too. Yeah, that's a heavy one. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was quite uh, surprising. And as I've always told the story, when I got there and finally got the script and opened it up, it said you know the cast list was there and down the cast list was Hitler. <laughs> And at that point, I thought, oh, have I made a terrible, terrible mistake here? Uh, what am I doing here? But then I read the script. It was really good. And uh, I got into it. And I thought, well, this, will, this could be okay, you know, if we find a Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? What was the deal with that Hitler? Because <laughs> like, he, it, it was an interesting performance he, uh, he delivered. Yeah, it was kind of... It was kind of a little bit over, but uh, but uh, very, very nice. Patrick Keating is his name. He's a local guy and a theater guy mostly, but he came in in full regalia in the uh, in the mustache and the hair and the whole bit. And and I kept saying to Ken, I said, I don't think Hitler was that skinny, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, we went with him. We thought you know he was he was trying to he was doing an honest job of trying to get there, but you know he was doing the over the top Hitler kind of thing. I wish we'd done it all in German, but, uh, you know, but uh, he was a lot of fun on set. You know, I guess like you show up dressed for the job that you want, but I'm not sure that rule applies to Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Like if somebody well, just he, shows up in that, it's like, why do you have this? <laughs> well, he had to come in and just like, you know, start ranting and raving, basically. And so we're sitting there in the casting kind of looking at each other like, Oh, he's ranting and raving. Yeah, most of the way <laughs> so, there already. <laughs> so that might be that might uh, get him in the Hitler mode or something like that. <laughs> were you familiar with Highlander before you came on? Like, were you familiar with either the show or had you seen the movies? Uh, no, I, I had never seen the the films, and I hadn't watched the television series. To tell you the truth, I was a real newbie. <laughs> I I watched mostly uh, you know thrillers and action films and all that kind of stuff, which was a good background for it. But for some reason, I'd never caught the caught the series. So I was kind of flying a little bit blind. In fact, I didn't know references like you know uh, a buzz and a quickening. I didn't know what that meant when I w- when I first got hired. But I think I'm a pretty quick study, so I can I can get into this. And then Ken gave me uh, four or five videotapes of shows that he likes, and I was going to go watch them, right, to see what the Highlander deal was. I mean, I knew about it. I mean, I knew what the premise was and all that kind of stuff. I just wasn't very experienced with the whole thing, right, of, of how it goes together. So I was going to watch them, and I watched uh, about two minutes of, of one of the shows during the Blitz in, in, in London, and they oh. were down underneath. Oh, the Blitz. You know? oh. And I, I, I'm surprised I watched, he chose uh, that one to give you. <laughs> Interesting. I know. He, he, he seemed to, to like that one and had a lot of emotion in it and everything like that. But I only watched, I watched like about two minutes of it, and then I shut it off, and I said, no, I'm not going to watch I'm going to uh, make it up as I go along, and I'm going to hopefully try to do something, you know, a little bit of reinventing the wheel. I was going to try to do it from my point of view and see if that worked. And if it did, they would like it. And if they didn't, I would never do another episode. <laughs> it was very it was very simple. So I kind of went from that kind of thing. And as it turned out, they really liked the episode. So that led on to the other eight. <laughs> 
it was a, it was a little bit of reinventing the wheel, and it's interesting enough that uh, also that you know the script was written by James Thorpe, and that was his first script that he wrote for Highlander. And so the two of us, it was like two newbies, you know, kind of trying to do this incredibly revered television series, <laughs> and and there we are, you know, like he's writing how he feels, and I'm directing it how I feel, and it worked out. Yeah, like that ended up being, uh, you know, a real fan favorite. I think that's also one of our, we, we tend to rate our episodes. I think that's one of our highest rated ones. Yeah, it's, it's my personal favorite episode of Highlander. So That's great. Yeah. Well, it was a lot of fun to do, I must admit. And it's like oddly oh. prescient even today that it's the themes of that episode. Yeah. prescient. <laughs> yeah, we just rewatched well, it a couple weeks ago and it was like very sad to watch all those themes play out. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, you see, some things uh, repeat in history, don't they? And uh, and and uh, listening to uh, the guy in the opening, uh, I, uh, the uh, the Russian guy, Harvey Gold is the actor's name, and uh, him talking about all you have to do is is give them something to hate, and you go, wow, that's still going on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it was going on in, you know, 2003. It was going on. And, you know, it's a situation that sadly repeats. Never in the United States, though. Never. Yeah. <laughs> Not here. Uh, I think it's a global thing. <laughs> but, yeah, then yeah. you also went on to do Duende, which is another just huge fan favorite. And I, do I just say correctly that that's the first time that that sword style was ever actually put on film? I believe so. Uh, because there, I'd never seen anything like it. Was there any kind of special preparation or... Or special approach you needed to take to do that since there is really no playbook for how to to film that it started really early on of course uh, that's you know as soon as i got to paris they handed me the script and then the next day anthony the longest came into town and from very early on in prep anthony and f braun were were practicing or working it out basically they were kind of discussing it and working it and playing with it and everything and we would get a a little conference room in our hotel and i would just sit there for like a couple of hours just watching them go through it and discuss it and you know do these different moves and when i saw it starting to come together i was thinking um this is quite the fight and then i saw the pictures of the you know the the you know the floor that they were supposed to use and the the uh the the man on it and the various quadrants and all this kind of stuff and i thought this is really really visual and this is going to be good now i hadn't shot uh you know valkyrie didn't have a sword sequence in it right so uh so this was like you know a first kind of sword sequence but i had a lot of you know action background not with swords but with everything else and so i was able to kind of see that this was working its way into being a kind of monumental fight (laughs) and then as we started shooting then Adrian got involved, of course, and and so you got the three of them going at at it and and working it out, and you know every any time they could we could spare some moments on on set, and so it slowly came together because the the flight sequence was scheduled for the very last day of the shoot, and then you know seeing what it was going to be like, I you know went to Ken and just said, boy, man, we got to bring out the big guns for this. We need uh, you know the crane with the hot head so I can get right overhead. And then we had, you know, a circular dolly track, you know, two or three cameras out and just pulled out as much as we could based on the budget and shot that scene for, I think, a good 10, 11 hours. 
it was brutal, but uh, I didn't really know about the fan base quite so much then, but I knew this was going to be something decent and special. And so I didn't want to shortchange it in any way. And it put on so much work on it. And it was a big fight. It was, uh, I believe it was five phrase fight, as they say. That's a big fight in, in Highlander land. So I was determined to shoot the entire fight. And it turned out pretty good. Aside from the kind of increased schedule, what are some of the challenges or differences from a feature film and, and directing for television? I'm curious about that. You know, there's time and resources. Of course, that's all changed now. Back in the day, to shoot a feature, you know, you'd have 30 days and everything to, to do that. Well, now you're doing a one-hour episode in seven days, right? So the math doesn't quite work out on that. And there's not as much money. Now, that's what it used to be. <laughs> right that was before game of thrones and all that shit came along right <laughs> you know because uh, yeah. i mean highlander had a had a really decent budget for its for its day but you know it was it's not freaking game of thrones i mean you know like we maybe had a million dollars an episode game of thrones had 11 12 million dollars an episode right <laughs> so even if you adjust for inflation it's still we were we were under budgeted but you got very creative in that way and the idea was to shoot as simply but but still try to keep a cinematic edge to a show especially like highlander which comes out of a movie and so you wanted to keep it uh and sometimes you just get into everything's on a steady cam and you're just going in for the coverage and everything and i said well that's bullshit Let's let's go back and let's do a real shot here and everything and try to do that. And, you know, you try to make it as cinematic as possible. But, uh, you know, we, we had some restrictions, you know, and it, it just basically was time and money. You know, that was the only thing, which they don't have in Netflix land anymore. <laughs> but we still tried to keep that kind of feel uh, going so it, so it looked like a big little show. And sometimes we were able to really pull it off because, you know, Highlander had the best teams in Vancouver and in Paris. We were, we were able to pull it off, but it is challenging. Which do you prefer between the two? I just like being on set and directing. <laughs> so so what's I mean, your, I, whatever you, whatever comes your way. Yeah, I, I've made a few mistakes that way, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, generally, uh, I've done low budget, little beautiful little low budget anthology series that were like barely half a million an episode, and I've done a nine million dollar feature. It's all good, <laughs> you know. At the end of the day, it's all good. One of the other kind of big episodes that you were charged with was the kind of penultimate episode, 2B. Did you feel any particular pressure kind of being involved in the climactic wrap-up of the show? Or was it, you know, just another day at the office? Well, no, by then, you know, I'd gone through nine episodes. And so I was feeling really part of the Highlander family at that point. And so it was the end of the series. It was really emotional for the, the cast, and I think especially for Adrian. By that time, I'd gone through uh, so many different stories and people and actors and, and situations that we really got kind of emotional at the end. And, and I had the pleasure also because of our schedules. You know, there's the whole to be, not to be thing that wraps up the series. And I did the first one. Dennis Berry did the second one. But due to scheduling, I got to actually shoot everything that was in the Bear Sea Tunnel, which included the final fight. Oh. Uh, and the final quickening. And I also got to shoot the final scenes with the cast on the barge. And so I really felt like, you know, uh, and then Dennis had to do some scenes for my show. 
right? Like this is just, you know, TV scheduling, right? Yeah. And, uh, but it was really a pleasure, you know, to stand on the set with them and uh, know that this was their final scenes. And so we shot it very simply. There a lot of hugs and everything. And by then I'd been with the series for like nine, ten months. So I was feeling pretty uh, part of the family. Did anyone mm-hmm. ever propose to you that the series should end with someone <laughs> saying cheers for five years? <laughs> this is a story we've Who heard, said- <laughs> but we've never, we, we're looking for verification on it. That uh, who who said that? Allegedly, who said that? Bill Panzer recommended that's the way the show should end, end. <laughs> where all the characters turn to the camera and say "Cheers for five years," notwithstanding that there were oh, six seasons. Right. <laughs> well, um, uh, Bill, I loved Bill, uh, <laughs> but he he would come up with a few strange things every once in a while. Uh, that never that never crossed my desk at all. That's okay. good. It's good <laughs> that it never made its way onto onto the, the screen at all. <laughs> yeah. Are there any other weird? Yeah. Ideas you remember that were like pitched ever? Uh, well, let's see what the uh, the ending of Armageddon was supposed to be. You know, after he defeats Satan, or you know, all this kind of stuff, and <laughs> we've gone through this monumental thing with Richie and all this kind of shit. You know, and everything. And now, and now, in the script, it was supposed to be, you know, some guy comes in in a kilt. And says, where's Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod? And Duncan is supposed to pick up his sword and says, well, here we go. You know, kind of, we're back at it. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) This landed like uh, the resounding turd that it sounds like. (laughs) And, uh, and, And thankfully, you know, because I'm looking at... Ken and Ken's looking at me, and and Ken just got on the phone and said, "We can't shoot that." That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 please, God, don't make it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so we decided not not too far before it was shot that the whole idea was going to be that you know Jim Burns picks up his sword and hands it to him in this kind of ceremonial kind of way and I said okay and I'll do a shot that starts very very close on the handle of the sword and then just draw back and sink down and look at the two of them just standing there and fade out on that simple clean and no guy in a kilt that's an advantage I think that every yeah. time I go into work I was like alright no, t- no guy in a kilt we're off to a good start <laughs> Yeah, with a sword, hey, it's going to be a good day. (laughs) (laughs) Just out of curiosity, did you ever go back and, like, watch the rest of the series? And if you did, are there any episodes you wish you got to direct? You know, uh, directors don't usually look at other directors' stuff uh, (laughs) (laughs) in a television series. I saw bits and pieces of some of the stuff that Clay did and thought it was really good. And there's some really lovely kind of things from the first and second season where, uh, you know, it was all fresh and new and everything. And uh, But, no, I, I, I don't think... I've I've watched not even when I was doing the final season and Dennis Barry and I were flip flopping and you know alternating episodes I I never saw what he was doing because he'd been with the series for so long and we were really 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 busy so I haven't really seen any of that uh, any of that stuff but uh, I think what made it kind of nice I think in the fifth season they were looking to get back to kind of back to the original more cinematic kind of a thing back when they were shooting it 35 millimeter and not 16 and that's why they went for a couple of new directors so I think if anything uh, you know I'd watch a few of the uh, season one and two and see what that was. Did you end up having a, a kind of a favorite moment or concept that you think you 
that you feel that you introduced into one of the episodes you directed that really stands out and really has that kind of Richard Martin stamp on it? <laughs> the opening scenes of Valkyrie and Duende were very important to me. I had some ideas on that. And then there was this other thing, which I'd learned from a Chinese director named Ronnie Yu. They say this has never been used in Highlander. I can't believe it, really. But uh, it's, it's you shoot a frame rate of eight frames a second on a handheld camera, and that creates a shutter thing, and it, it blurs some of the frames, and then you print each of those frames at three frames, and then it comes back up to 24, so it looks like real movement, but it's got this staccato kind of thing, and I used it for the buzz in Valkyrie, and so you can see, and it's kind of blurred, and it's kind of this, and then it whip pans to something, and and I used that a few times in the series. Everyone loved it, but they said, oh, geez, that's never been done before, and even Adrian liked it so much, he used it in one of his episodes, but I, I can't believe they actually didn't uh, do that. <laughs> so that became a thing. But in Valkyrie and Duende, they had these big openings. And so I was always trying to get to the final image of what I wanted the final image to be before it goes to black. And, you know, like when Jim Burns, oh, geez, don't come cloud. You know, <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to do something, right? So for Valkyrie, we had the script and she, you know, Musetta, comes in, she assassinates everybody, she walks out, end of story, right? And so I came up with the idea like, okay, what if he's watching a videotape of himself, uh, the Russian guy, saying, you know, Mother Russia will rise again and all this kind of thing. And I said, what if, you know, he goes to bed and then his bodyguard has to, you know, turn off the thing. And now this is anachronistic now, but back in the day, you know, you'd, you'd put a thing on pause uh, on a VHS and eventually it would pop out of pause and start playing again. So that was the kind of idea. He's trying to screw with this kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, knock, knock, knock at the door. He puts, that's why we concentrate. He puts the, the remote down and he goes to the door and everything. And then Musetta comes in, bang, bang, kill, kill. Everything's happening because the final image I wanted was these two dead guys on the ground, this enigmatic woman in a fur coat, turning an assassin, turning and walking away. And meanwhile, on the TV is still playing this guy ranting and raving and we will do this but uh mother russia boom he is duncan cloud you know <laughs> so so, so like that's engineer it to, to get you yeah. to that image and then in duende same thing we were looking for locations and we went to this one place for the flamenco clubs the one in 1970 and the one in modern day and so i was walking we were walking through the place and i saw this huge staircase and i said well that's pretty Highlander, <laughs> that, that whole thing, right? And then devised a thing that we would put a huge light up there, backlight the whole staircase, and then, you know, keep it all dark and reds and blues and all this kind of thing. And then, you know, Anthony DeLongo's, you know, puta, whore, huh? like you guys say, he always has to say the English and the Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then dad, stab, kill, kill, and everything, and everyone goes, fuck this, I'm out of here, and they run away. <laughs> and then, uh, because the final image was him walking up those that staircase with her screaming and crying on the ground, and he turns back and looks, and then he continues up the stairs, right? Now, that location would never exist in a flamenco club. 
<laughs> but there's no way. But it was just so interesting that we said, screw it, let's do it here. It'll look really cool. And so we're going for that coolness factor. That's something I think that's like underrated in a lot of like maybe television directing like that coolness factor isn't necessarily superfluous like it matters it makes a lot of these scenes really stick in your head there's another mm-hmm. there's another scene in duende that's one of my favorite shots it's when they're back in the club and i guess it's when Kinsone's like I, I don't know he's screwing with the the older woman mm-hmm. and there's like a spotlight and she ends up like collapsed on the ground like reaching mm-hmm. for this the sky <laughs> and it's like very melodramatic but it's also like very striking visually and like mm-hmm. i always think of that scene when i think of that episode and it speaks to what you're going for that like there's these really great emblematic shots that you're thinking of and then kind of go backwards from there and i think that works out great yeah well that was supposed to echo the opening you know the opening scene with the huge backlight and everything you know she comes into the club she turns on the light bang it happens to be a spotlight (laughs) (laughs) and but but you know the thing the the thing was I mean when I read the script I said you know it's flamenco it's this you know very stylized fighting thing it, you know it's it's operatic it's all that kind of thing and so you know yeah maybe I could have toned down the the scenery chewing a bit on some of that but uh, I liked it but, yeah, exactly. but there, there, <laughs> but there was something yeah there was there was something I liked about it you know and uh, and and those kind of you know, grand passion kind of thing. And so I said, Oh, just go with it, Richard. Just go with it. <laughs> That's almost like a like a telenovela feel. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but kind of just like this heightened reality was very appropriate for that episode. And yeah. it's it's one of the great episodes. So I think it I think it worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well that that was uh you know, it was a conscious decision because as I'm sitting watching Anthony, who was doing a great job and being the ultimate villain and everything, I, I, I sat on set and thought now what if i told him you're the victim don't be the evil guy you're you're the one who's been wronged here i wonder if that would have you know changed uh, the performance slightly but then i went no no it's 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 what it should be <laughs> you know and i was really enjoying it i was getting off on the show and the and the and the things and the lighting and this and that we were having such a great time with it i just said yeah go with it martin go with it what was your favorite of the nine episodes that you ended up directing? Like, what was the most fun for you to do? They all had something going on for them, you know, but the, those first two were particularly memorable. You know, the scripts were really great. It, it was a lot of fun to do. And, of course, especially with Duende, my first experience of shooting in Paris was, like, mind-numbing. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just so great. The, the opening scene and the next scene, which is in the modern-day Flamenco Club, that was all one location called Sal Wagram. And we went in and it was a huge space, huge. But I said, we'll shoot in this corner here for the modern day and then we'll use these stairs. And as I'm sitting, standing there and they're working out the details with the owners of the building and the managers, uh, I said, you know, it's funny. This this looks so much like the place where the last, uh, where the tango scene was in Last Tango in Paris. And they all stopped and turned to me and said, it is that location. <laughs> and I said, Fuck me, you're kidding? This is <laughs> this is where Bertolucci shot? This is where like Marlon Brando was getting a hand job for Maria Schneider over in the corner? Holy fuck me. <laughs> 
and it was just great. And like, and that that staircase that we shot looking up at is when she runs away. If you know the movie Last Tango in Paris, she runs away from him and runs down that staircase. Right. So I mean, it was just like a, a maze. I'm shooting. You know, this is my first location, and that was the first scenes that we shot or were there. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm I'm with the uh, ghost of Marlon Brando here. <laughs> was the was it so the ghost those, of so, young Brando or ghost of fat Brando in your in your, uh, in kind, your of, imagination? kind of kind of the in between Brando. <laughs> oh in between Brando, I like it. So not him during like uh yeah. what is it, Island of Doctor Moreau or something. That was he he shot that movie and it was the same year he did Godfather and uh yeah two two monumental movies in one year. Not bad. Yeah. But yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful location and everything. So that that really, you know, and shooting on in Paris and everything is just so, you know, Valkyrie was special because I I was expecting it to not me, and it was, <laughs> and then uh, and Duende because it it became uh, it became Duende, and everyone seemed to really like it, so it was cool. Uh, a lot of the others were great; they had their own kind of uh, situations and everything, but those two just still stand out. I was going to say you also got to wor- work with Roger Daltrey, which must have been pretty yeah. cool, I think. Uh, and you directed one of I think one of our favorite comedy episodes, The Stone of Schoon. That was right after Duende. Yeah, because <laughs> Highlander has a spotty history with its comedy episodes, I'd say. But no, it was great that you seemed to have like a much looser feel to that episode and like really laid into some jokes and I don't know, it was it was funnier than a lot of other Highlander episodes, which... Yeah, well, when I was a kid, there were all these movies from, from England uh, called the Carry On movies. Oh, right. Uh, and they were they were really stupid, uh, but really fun. And the show and the movie would always end off with some, you know, incredibly stupid antics and everything. And somehow they came out of it. And someone would say, "All right, carry on," and that would be the end of the movie. So when I was doing Don of Scone, that's that's kind of what I was. I was I was trying to channel my inner youthful kind of thing of wacky comedy. And uh, and Elizabeth was so wonderful in that how she was playing just that '50s British kind of acting kind of thing of the tough woman in in the 50s kind of thing that all worked and they all just love working together that was the thing you know so you could just say yeah let's go for something wackier you know let's bring in a cow to stand in the background <laughs> yeah and and uh and the cow tried to upstage the actress right it was just ridiculous so if it, if it was ridiculous it was good if they were carrying the, the stone of scone out of the thing and they looked like their knees were shaking all the better. You know, it was just fun. And Roger was a s- sweet guy, and he just, he had a lot of fun doing it. He, he loved the comedy. So, and, and him in bed with the girl, you know, could you give us five minutes? Maybe yeah. half an hour? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. It was a lot of fun. I had a question about that episode, which maybe you can answer. Um, at the start, it says it's a Highlander fable. Does that episode mm. actually take place in the continuity, or is it really like a a fable or am I overthinking it? <laughs> I might be a little overthinking that. But, uh, I, I don't know how it works into the continuity of, you know, where Fitz was and, and, and what he was going through and all that kind of thing. And maybe that's why see, that stuff was added in post. Uh, I never shot that. The episode was together, but I think it was Bill Panzer who thought we should do 
something more, you know, taking on the, the tone of the show and try to bookend it, basically, huh. literally bookend it. <laughs> and so they did the thing with the book, and that book must have cost them a, a pretty penny, too, and everything. So uh, I just heard about it as, as it was going through post, and I said, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> you know, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, how it fits in, because I know Fitz's uh, journey is, is kind of a, well, it's ultimately kind of a sad one, isn't it? And kind of uh, what he gives up and all that kind of stuff. So this was just a, a bit of a light moment. In, in the middle of general Highlander mayhem, I think. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, this is a kind of depressing season overall. Like, a lot of really dark <laughs> stuff happens. So it's like, oh, this one's mm-hmm. actually going to be funny? Thank God. Like, <laughs> could use a minute. <laughs> Tons of fun to do. You know, your exploits extend beyond the, the reaches of Highlander. So on the on the topic of some of these funnier episodes, uh, what was it like working on Air Bud? Oh, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I figure everyone has to do a, a dog movie at some point in their life, and I did mine. Sure. And uh, I never wanted to do it again. Oh, uh, no. I was going to say, you and Clay have that in common. Was, uh, you both have worked on dog projects. Yeah. it's. It, I mean, it, it was great. And, you know, Kevin Zegers is a lovely kid and all this kind of thing. And uh, and it was a $9 million picture. But I got into that one because I'd been working with this group called Keystone Pictures. And they originally got up the original Airbud thing. And I'd been directing films for them and also doing second unit. And so I started doing second unit on the first one for Charlie Martin Smith. And uh, we got along really well, and I, I got into it. But then I got the call to go to Paris and do Duende. So I said, sorry, Charlie, I'm going to go do Highlander. <laughs> so I only... So I only got like half, about oh, half, three, three quarters of the way through. And then someone came in and did more second unit on it. And then it became a success. And then they were going to do the next one. It was actually Charlie Martin Smith who said, let's get Richard to do it. And so I, I kind of got involved that way. Uh, you know, but you're on set. It's like 35 days and football and dogs and rain and uh, like six dogs to play the one dog. And, uh, you know, and like bring in, bring in the close up dog and bring in the cuddly dog now okay now bring in bring in the dog that can climb the ladder and uh <laughs> stuff like that and for years after that shows would come up and they say oh you you did Airbud too yeah uh yeah well we, we were thinking for this for this show we we put a dog in it he said you do and i'm walking <laughs> yeah, because uh you know it, it, it's fun once <laughs> so you're not gonna but, do uh, like the new Airbud where he's like trying to run the decathlon or something yeah yeah no i i I think they've i think they've exhausted sports uh (laughs) unless there's airbud does cricket i don't know if there's (laughs) anything uh i don't know if there's any and and then and then that company uh morphed into just doing family pictures like that and now you know i think we're into monkeys orangutans (laughs) something like that but uh and and on skateboards and all this kind of stuff and they wanted me to go back and do more and i said no thanks (laughs) (laughs) well you were also involved in another feature film that has like a long storied history can you tell Mm. us about battlefield earth Mm, battlefield Mm. earth that was a shit storm of a movie let me tell you (laughs) lay Uh, into it as much as you want we want to hear any and everything about it because we are fascinated (laughs) well the thing was that again with this group keystone who started the airbud thing before that we were doing b movies you know or what i like to call b plus movies we kind of graduated into a little bit better that's what you bring you bring the plus (laughs) yeah yeah i would i would i would try to bring the plus and they started to bring some directors in who 
try to bring the plus, basically. And so there was this other director there, and he knew I do, did second unit as well as directing and everything. And also I cut some trailers for a couple of his shows, which he really loved. Anyway, so he calls me up one day. I know nothing of Battlefield Earth. I mean, I at least knew something about Highlander, but I knew nothing about Battlefield Earth and the whole Scientology thing and everything. But, you know, you, you're sitting around picking your nose one day, right? And suddenly you get a phone call and this guy's saying, hey, I'm doing an $80 million sci-fi picture for Warner Brothers with Travolta and Forrest Whitaker and Barry Pepper, and I want you to be my second unit director. Well, you know, at that point, you kind of go, okay, what's my rate? And it was a huge rate. And uh, how many business class tickets do I get? And where am I staying? And what's the per diem? <laughs> and it was all good. And so I said, I'm in. Now, I should have known, first of all, when, when I got the, when they sent me the script, came uh, a couple of days later. And it's what we call a rainbow of a script. It means like whenever they make a rewrite or something, they put it on a different color paper and change it up and everything. So it's all in, in order properly, but it's all in different colors, right? right? So when you see a script that has all the colors of the rainbow <laughs> and then and then many, many more, <laughs> you see that this has gone through a tremendous amount of rewrites and everything. And that, that was my first indication that mm, uh, all is not well in the, in the kingdom. And then I read it and it made no sense to me. Uh, and I just thought, well, fuck it. What do I know, right? And I'm going to Montreal for three months, you know, So and staying at the Intercontinental. How bad can it get? <laughs> and so I did. And I went to the production office, and they had all these pictures of these aliens, right? And they they all were really beautiful drawings and everything. And they, they had these, these skinny little legs, and they were like little ants or, or some kind of bug and everything like that. And I thought, whoa, this is looking cool and everything. This is going to be great and everything. And then uh, the first day I'm on set, I didn't really have much to do because, you know, the second unit was just there to be another camera. And so I went down and I saw that they'd, uh, due to budget, they'd put these guys on stilts and put these huge boots on them. And I don't know if you've seen the movie or anything, but my first reaction was to gas. (laughs) No, I just, I just gasped and said, oh my God, they look ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And then it was just uh, bizarre. But you know, we got to do uh, uh, some fun. Oh, and then we're, uh, I'm there and the video village, like where the directors and the producers sit and watch the monitors and everything. And, and there are all these guys in suits. Now, this is summer in Montreal, and it's hot as hell. And uh, these guys are in black suits with black ties, and they're all around the director and around the monitor, and they're all leaning in and talking. I, I turned over to one guy and said, who the fuck are those guys? Because <laughs> they didn't look like studio executives or anything like that to me. And they said, oh, those are the Scientology guys. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Did they what? have, like, final and cut? Yeah, yeah, well, they had to, they had to uh, be there and approve things. Now, Thankfully, they didn't even bother with second unit. So they didn't even know what second unit meant, you know. <laughs> so for weeks, they had to put up with these guys coming in and out and looking at things, you know, to uh, make sure that L. Ron Hubbard's uh, thing was being done properly. 
And then it was just a massive amount of hours. But we did have some fun. If you watch the movie and see something like blowing up or uh, aliens crashing through, you know, glass windows and all this kind of stuff, that's, that's our stuff. Right, we we did we got to do the fun shit, you know. <laughs> you know so the main unit would use a street like that'd be a block long, and I'll be dressed like post-apocalyptic with burnt-out buses and this and that. We'd come in the next night and start shooting there. And one of the things, one of the little things of the of the show is that the 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 humans, uh, the human population, cracks. There's a, a a huge glass shield over Denver, Colorado. Why Denver? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and uh, and 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 they have to crack it so that the oxygen gets in and and the aliens can't breathe the oxygen they die so there's your there's how they how the humans retake their planet and so we had to do this thing of huge chunks of glass from this canopy falling down and crushing people and smashing on the streets and all this kind of stuff so what we would have is like a hundred extras in the background at a safe distance running and everything like that about 20 stunt guys in the foreground and then they would take 300 pound blocks of ice Whoa. two tons worth onto a crane and lift it up 60 feet in the air <laughs> right and then and then we were driving cherry pickers with canisters 50 gallon drum canisters filled with you know fake bricks and debris and all this kind of stuff and and you you'd set five of these things in and it'd all be on trip wires right so then I would go around with the DOP and the uh, director of photography and assistant and say, okay, let's put one camera here. Uh, let's put it on a 50 millimeter and run it at 48 frames per second. And we would do all this all around, like five cameras. We always traveled with five cameras. And then, you know, you set it all up, you practice it, and then all hell would break loose. You'd run all the cameras, and then they trip the thing. The, the stunt guys would slam into each other. People are falling, people are running, and then all this ice is falling down trying to be like glass and just smashing on the ground and you could feel the ground shake from <laughs> from this two tons of ice hitting the ground and it would take like five hours to set that up and then about a minute to shoot and then you say okay clean it up and we'll do it again <laughs> and then and you change up the camera angles and change up the the stunt people, and that would be the day. You know, it'd be uh, ten shots in, in a day, wow. and and each time you did it, it's like five or six hours because you have to bring the crane down, pack on the ice, take it back up, and so it just took a lot of time. So so there were fun things like that that we got to do. Wow. Uh, and no but, uh, Scientologist telling you how to do it. And without any Scientologists around. That was the main thing. <laughs> so, you know, we'd be out, we'd be out in the, you know, in the wilderness of, of Montreal in the middle of the night. And, uh, so we could just get away with murder, basically. <laughs> but it was, it was long days. And I just, you know, by the end of it, it was like the dog movie. I never want to see another alien as long as I. <laughs> did, did they, did you get to go to the premiere at all? Just out of curiosity? No, no. I, me and the, uh, and the director of uh, the second unit director of photography watched it in, in Vancouver when it first came out. 
so we didn't we didn't make it to that. We weren't important <laughs> enough. Oh. Uh, actually, they put second unit down past uh, in the in the tail credits down past the uh, caterers. So yes, the caterers, caterers. Got a better, what the caterers got a better credit than us. But then at, when we watched the movie, the DOP and I looked at each other and said, "I'm glad we're down there," <laughs> <laughs> because then all hell broke loose. And you know there was no telling like John Travolta what to do. He he just had that performance. That was just uh, mind-numbingly awful, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, very nice guy, but but you know, he had this concept, and he's a Scientologist, and hey, yay, yay. no one's going to argue with, no one's going to argue with Travolta, right? Yeah. So uh, so yeah, I just rising, just thinking about it. <laughs> so yeah, so so we were happy that you know, uh, no one's going to know we made this movie, and that's probably a good thing. <laughs> Until now, with our podcast, yeah. you're, you're about to get the Highlander rewatch bump or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there we go. Tens uh, of uh, yeah, people. Yeah. I know. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for the next Scientology movie to come yeah. along. What fans are more interesting, Battlefield Earth fans or Highlander fans? Oh, Highlander fans. <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah. more fun, more interesting. Highlander yeah. fans, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Well, we got to yeah. rub elbows with with you and some other Highlander fans at the uh, Highlander Worldwide Convention. Are there any <laughs> uh, big memories from that that stick out that you want to share? How was it uh, getting back together with the old gang? Other than Claybor saying "fuck" every two seconds, <laughs> uh, and then him and I, you know, and and other people getting really wasted together, it was um, it was a lot of fun because I, a lot of the cast I hadn't seen in a decade or more, and. You you guys were there. I mean, it was, a, it was wonderful. People were really engaged. You know, it's hard to fathom sometimes how people remember the show and how emotional everyone was about the show and everything like that. And I think the, the thing that really just got to me the most was, I mean, this was 22 years ago or something. We finished shooting the final scenes of the of the series and here are all these people out and it still means something and i thought wow that ain't going to happen to battlefield earth (laughs) (laughs) i'm curious to see the people who feel that way about battlefield earth i feel like they might have some interesting stories to tell i think they're probably in institutions but uh no no i I was just really impressed uh always was by you know the whole fan thing of highlander and uh how it still endures to this day you know I mean, there's stuff, and some of it's anachronistic, and some of it's unintentionally funny, and some of it's this and that, but uh, the story still means something to people, which is great. You don't get that too often. Question we try to ask all our guests, if you could be immortal, would you want to be? And if you were, what would you do with your immortal life? That's a tricky one. As I get older, you know, you want to be, uh, you'd like to be immortal. <laughs> but 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 is that really, you know, the, the lessons of Highlander are there, that it's uh, fraught with difficulty, as you can see, right? I mean, if I looked like Adrian Pollard could wield a sword like him, I'd say, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> but it, it's hard to say. You know, I'd probably just try to keep, you know, making movies and shows. In, in a couple hundred years, I'd finally get it right. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, but uh, I don't know. That's uh, that's a tough one. I'd have to think uh, long and hard about that before I'd say, yeah, let me live forever. I don't know. And the thing that was always kind of, you know, neat in those emotional moments about Highlander was seeing people 
pass you by and go away and die. You know, I, I don't want to get too serious about this. I know it's not a serious thing, but you know, there's one. Ep- I I I only did one uh, Highlander. We call them Highlander Babe shows, right? Uh, and they were real shit shit storms, right? Because uh, and 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 Dennis Dennis Berry had to do most of those, right? And and that's because all the all the brass was there, all the executive producers, because it was a spinoff. They were trying to get a spinoff, but I got the one one uh, called Justice. And that was kind of a, a, an interesting one because, you know, uh, Justina Vale in that episode, she, you know, sees the little girl on the street and I think it's Buenos Aires or something. And then she has to watch her grow up and it becomes, you know, her daughter and then she becomes her sister and then she becomes her older sister. And then, you know, and then she's murdered, of course, because of Thailander. Naturally. Murdered. <laughs> and, uh, and you think, well, that's, there's, there's the real downside. And I think they played with this a number of times on the show is that you know the people the people you meet the people you love eh, they all die (laughs) (laughs) and you're left there pretty brutal it's a a tough question so if people want to find you and see what you're up to these days uh where can our fans look you up well you uh i have a a website richard martin film all one thing richardmartinfilm.com that has you know other shows i've been doing and and stuff i'm doing nowadays in, in short films and curating programs of films and all that kind of stuff so uh that's a good place to start richardmartinfilm.com well i know they said that's going to be the last highlander convention but i i kind of hope they do another one well you never know I think that'd be fun if they reboot you never this know. thing you never know what comes down the pipe at that point because that'll gen- mm-hmm. certainly generate a lot of uh, interest if Mr. John Wick ever gets that mm-hmm. movie made. They'll, uh, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that'll generate some more buzz. Are there any projects mm-hmm. here you've got in the hopper or uh, anything like that that you want our fans to, to know about? Anything you want to throw in a quick plug for? I'm working on um, a number of projects. A few years ago, I did a documentary about kind of avant-garde filmmakers in Vancouver which was in the 70s. It was a very kind of very fertile time for experimental stuff and everything. And the documentary did all right. It's It's gone across Canada, a bit in the States. But just uh, last year, I went to uh, France with it, showed it uh, in Cannes and in Nice. And that generated a lot of buzz. And so now uh, there's a bunch of people who want me to come to Spain and show it and uh, possibly Switzerland, and I'm hoping Italy. <laughs> and, uh, but it's kind of an interesting documentary, a slice of Vancouver and filmmaking from that period. And so I've kind of been following that as well as making my own short films. And so uh, I hit the festival circuit a lot, which is always fun. So hopefully next year, 2020, come visit me in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, and what was the name of the documentary again? Uh, it's called Backbone. 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 Backbone Vancouver Experimental Cinema. It's got a website too. It's uh, backbonefilm.ca. Cool. Awesome, Richard. This was really great talking to you about your time spent on Highlander and your career as a whole. Everybody out there to definitely visit those websites. Check out Richard's other work. It's really great. Richard, you are definitely like a shining beacon in the Highlander universe. Uh, when you came on board in season five, like the quality of episodes that you were involved in shot up a ton. It was great. So thanks again for talking with us. Go check out the documentary backbone and go to uh, richardmartinfilm.com to see some of the projects we've been talking about thank you guys uh, it's really great and Highlander was a real highlight for me so uh, keep on watching thanks again for listening we've been your rewatchers i'm keith this is kyle this is amen bye see ya 